You know, I'm going to continue this uh, transition series today, and, and, and truthfully, uh, it's going to be from the book of Daniel chapter 3, and it's a very, a very familiar story. In fact, I tried my best to find the, the VHS version of VeggieTales on, on, on this. On this. Huh? I don't know if I do or not. I, I thought we did. We're not getting anything back in the back. Oh. Okay. There you go. Do I have to repeat everything I just said? <laughs> okay, now I'm on, right? Okay. Um, you've seen the VeggieTale thing. That's just hilarious. Um, you know, the, the fourth guy's real shiny <laughs> in there. And uh, it really, in a very unique and very simple way, tells this story that we're going to talk about today. But I couldn't find it. Uh, in many ways, I want to get to the very last of this message uh, because this is a very different approach to how I'm laying this out. I'm wanting to take little excerpts of transitioning not only for, for King Nebuchadnezzar, but for these uh, three um, Hebrew children who became sort of administrators. And, and, uh, and it goes back to when we talked about Nehemiah, building the wall. These, you know, Daniel and Ezekiel and others were taken off into captivity. So Daniel's still here. Dan, in fact, Daniel, as I understand it, uh, stayed in Babylon. He lived out his years. Now, if that's not factually right, I, you know, I read the wrong commentary. Um, so why? I mean, God did not desert his people. Even in the midst of life and this captivity, he kept a mouthpiece, not only for the children of Israel to speak truth, to be that prophet of God, but he also spoke into the leadership of the country. I mean, it was Babylon, and then it was the Persians, and then here we go. So that whole part... And the significance of Daniel's role in the life of, the, of his people were, were incredibly important. And what leads up to chapter 3 that we'll be focusing in on today is that Daniel began to be a sort of interpreter of dreams. And he sort of raised his level of, uh, of uh, whatever that was and uh, became one to bring leadership to Nebuchadnezzar, a part of which he liked and other parts he didn't like. But I don't want to focus on that. But that's how we get to chapter 3. So he, in one of the dreams, Daniel talks about this, uh, this, this great figure, and uh, he decided to make a gold uh, statue of himself. Nothing about narcissism, just simply he wanted a gold staff you know, of himself. I mean, I've never tried that. Probably wouldn't get very far. Uh, and it wouldn't be gold anyway. It'd just be painted gold on top of something else. But he did. So here we are. And so now he's, got, he's on this big ego trip thinking, okay, guys, everybody needs to bow down to me, and we're going to toot the horn and you know, kick the goat and give a yell. I added that goat part. And uh, we'll just simply, here we are, and then we do, everybody bows down. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow down, and we got a tattletale guy here. So they go to... King Neb and say, hey, look, you know, O King Live Forever, sort of whatever they say, we got three people over here who didn't do that. And you know who they are. You sort of know them, and they're, they're not being very cooperative. And they didn't. So what I want to do 
this wouldn't pass any sort of homiletics class. I'm, I'll tell you that. I, I want to take something that how Nebuchadnezzar reacted and transitioned from <laughs> from being who he was to then being sort of uh, in favor of the thing, and then he changed again. I mean, I, you never know what page he's on. But also to how the, these three um, people reacted and transitioned. And it's more of a transition moment. I would say that if I were in the front of a fiery furnace, I'm not sure what that would look like. I don't want to, I've seen pictures, you know, but uh, drawings of what it might look like. But, you know, that's a very transitional moment. Not a transitional time in his life. It's like, here we are. Why didn't you bow down? And if you don't, uh, give you another chance. And we didn't, so here we go. And kaboom. So I want to kind of hop through this because I really want to get to something at the end. But I wanted to get a picture of this. And so we're in chapter 3. And if you read the whole chapter, this would be a much better um, sort of a touch point message. And if you don't haven't read this, go back and read chapter 3. There's several things I want to pick out, and then I want to bring out this about transition in our own life and about living in the midst of our weakness. Um, so first of all, in chapter 3, verse 12, and he says, I'm going to take an excerpt, so you kind of fill in the gap. They said, they don't serve your gods or worship the golden image. See, they got told on. It's always a tattletale, yeah, I think, and they did. So one of the things I want to pick out is that, you know what? You got, you got these three folks, and they're not doing what they did. They did not worship the golden image. And so I, what I take away from that is the first point is to learn to live your life based on your convictions, not circumstances. That's easy to say. Live, what are you, what are you, do you have any convictions? Do circumstances change what you truly believe? I mean, what, what, what would you do if you were them? <laughs> I mean, I've often thought, okay, listen, look, guys, just bow down, do it quick, let's get the heck out of here. <laughs> you know, they didn't do that. But I think, what if I were there? I'm not going to get torched. Am I living by my conviction or the circumstances? I'm just glad this story is about them and they didn't write it about me. Uh, you know, I may have gone through a drive through and gone home. So just, just do it, get out of here, and then you can get right later on. But no, they didn't do that. They lived a life based on convictions, not circumstances. Why is that important to them? It's important to them is because they were obedient and if, if they had lived out their circumstances, they would have never seen the work and miraculous event that took place with the fourth man. Won't go into all that, but they would have missed that. Sometimes circumstances are so uh, heavy, so overwhelmingly foreboding. Uh, we... I mean, sometimes they're just, how can I live faithfully in the moment, which I really want to do based upon what my convictions are, and not let the circumstances change me, because they will. You will be tested, I will be tested. 
People will test you. Circumstances will test you. At work it will test you. Are you a person of honesty, integrity? Will you do what's right? Or will you let circumstance say, well, it doesn't matter. Just round the numbers up. Or down. Or, well, you know, I sort of did this. And I sort of got this project done, sort of. So I'll just say that I actually completed it the way it was originally. So, I mean, where do we draw the line between these little things that no one really may know or ever know versus things that maybe are more overt, more things in public? Do we have convictions? Because some may think convictions are arrogant. Some may think convictions are uh, self-inflating or pejoratively pushdowns on others. But everybody has a conviction about something. And if, I, and if circumstances always dictates what I do, I will always be pushed and pulled, blown by the winds through the sails of my ship into whatever direction that wind is going with no rudder to give direction to it. And that's called lost at sea. Do we have a rudder? Do we have a conviction that gives direction? The second thing I want to say is about King Nebuchadnezzar. I would like to know really more about this guy. He's kind of a little off the hinges. He's up, he's down, he's... (laughs) You never know. But when he heard they did not bow down, in verse 13 it says... And he was enraged and angered about this thing, and he gave orders to bring them up to the front of the front of the crowd. And we're going to teach these guys a lesson, you know. Takeaway from that is how can we not act like Nebuchadnezzar, learn to respond rather than react? Play on words, but I think there's a real difference between how we respond to things, how we react. I was raised to react. That's the way I was raised. Not, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good at all. I've had to learn to respond to things, to people, to circumstances, particularly if they were not something that I would believe in or feel comfortable with or when I feel attacked or when I feel put down, when I feel abused, when I feel like I've been sort of abandoned, betrayed. And that's going to happen to you if it hadn't already by good people. Maybe your neighbor, maybe someone at church, maybe someone at work, maybe someone you never, you don't even know at all. I mean, what is up with this thing when somehow you don't quite push the pedal down when the light goes green and you look at the rearview mirror at the, fi- uh, the person behind you and they're already giving you signs of get on with it. Really? Do people live their life in that sort of modality of like, holy mercy, I was a half a second from pushing this thing to go forward, but because I didn't go forward on the green light at the split second, then I get this sort of a welcome sign. Did I respond to that? No. Did I react to that? No. That's, that's just a, an adult had grown up yet. And at some point, you need to grow up. You can be impatient if you want to. 
But you can still respond to things versus react. Someone has said, uh, not, that's not my, my thought. I picked this up somewhere along the line. Reacting is responding with my eyes closed. Responding is reacting with my eyes open. How far you want to take that up to you? What mind I borrowed it? But I think there's some truth there. Sometimes when we react blindly and then we say things we would love to take back, things that we thought were never true to start with, but our reaction and our adrenaline and our impetuousness took our mouth, short-circuited our brain, and out comes things like, wow, did I say that? Yes, you did. And it's so easy to react because it's emotional. You got the adrenaline sending emails to the rest of your body and just like, it's going to fight or flight. So let's fight. I uh, cherish and are grateful and moved by people who respond to things. Um, I don't want to go into the chaplain thing, but you know I'm a chaplain at Franciscan. Well, Franciscan is a Catholic hospital. One of my favorite persons in all the world is one of the sisters. I won't mention her name just for the sake of, I don't know that I should. She is uh, a little older than me, maybe by a lot. <laughs> this precious lady is so gentle so humble. I do think someone could threaten her life and she would say something like, have you really thought about that? <laughs> and she's so kind. She, she exudes kindness. And I have seen her in meetings where she was a, what I would consider sort of challenged on some things. And she so mercifully and kindly responds to people. And I don't know what, if people know what to do with that. You, people can react to your reaction. If you stick your neck out there, somebody will be glad to chop it off, figuratively speaking. But when you love and you extend kindness and mercy and you're responding, they know that you're hearing them. You don't agree with them, but they felt like they've been heard. What do you do with that? But back down and say, okay, thank you. <laughs> we could do that. And I think we can do that more often in our homes, in our families, at work. Because there's always going to be someone who's going to not treat you right. You're going to be felt like you weren't heard or mistreated. I've seen it in marriages. I've seen it in families. I mean, there are some couples who think that it's normal to argue five times a day. I mean, argue, argue. I mean, argue, argue as in word bombs and everything else. And I'm thinking, are you kidding? And then there's the texting thing, you know? They have a communication problem. They don't know how to talk to each other. They just carry on text messages for hours. So they come to me or to other people to try to learn how to communicate, and it's like, I don't know how to, uh, I can't talk to her. She, or I can't talk to him. Well, last I heard, you were doing text. Yeah, we can do texting. Well, what is that? And what, Why don't you put the texting down and look eyeball to eyeball. Look at their optic nerve and listen to their heart and respond to them. I have found that when most people feel like they've heard, whether you agree or you come to some sort of a, 
uh, a place where you have some sort of a, okay, we can agree to disagree. I found when people feel like they have heard, they can say, I'm good. What are you going to do when someone learns to respond to you in kindness and love, but with firmness and conviction? Being, being responsive in love and kindness doesn't mean that you just kind of float with the wind or go up, go downstream and float with everything else. No, you have convictions that drive what you do, what you think, what you believe, what you say, how you practice, how you live your life at home, everything else. But that doesn't mean that we have to react with mean-spiritedness to things. King Neb had a problem. That's enough about King Neb. Thirdly, express your faith, not your feelings. Feelings aren't bad. God gave us feelings. I'm grateful for feelings. Somebody wrote a song about it, and I know I'm a 70s music guy, so I won't bring up any 70s music about being hooked on a feeling, but, you know, it was written. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, is that up here? If we were thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even, listen to this. Listen to this. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, watch this, he's responding. He's not, hey, uh, even if they do, we want you to know, jerk. He didn't call him a jerk. Did he call him a jerk? No. He, your majesty, that we will not serve your God. Convictions. Convictions. Or worship the image of gold you have set up. I mean, he didn't like it, but they said it in a way that had conviction. They remembered that he gave him respect. He's still the king. They, they addressed him as that. He didn't just say, oh, King Nebi. I use King Neb up here because I can they kept that, your majesty, even if we do. Look at the power of expressing your faith and not your feelings. I don't know what their feelings were. We don't know what their feelings were. I don't know what they were thinking, standing up there in front of everyone, feeling the heat already from this furnace because it was already hot. And they kicked it up a notch. But they expressed in these moments their faith, not their feelings. My feeling is, I don't feel good about this. My feelings are, I'm a little anxious. Um, boy, howdy, how do we get here? Who's that tattletale who told on us anyway? They just simply dealt with the reality of our faith, regardless of how we got here, there, our faith is, you know what? O king, he will rescue us. He will, but even if, he, even if he does not, even if things go the way we would prefer it not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up for yourself. Fourth and last thing. And then I want to get to what I really want to say. 
verse 26. Threw him in the fire furnace, kicked it up a notch. I mean, this is no microwave, folks. This is, this is serious business. This is hot. They came out of the midst of the fire. They weren't, I mean, think of it. This is not a transitional time. This is a transition moment. What were they thinking when they began to take that first step into that fire furnace? I mean, it's got to be singeing the hairs off their nose at 10 feet. I mean, it's got to be hot, hot, hot. And they went in. And someone said, you know what, there's, 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 there, there's three who went in, but I see a fourth. And in verse 26, and they came out from the midst of the fire. When transitions are created in the moment over a period of time, God's power is strengthened in my weakness. That's what I want to talk about today, <laughs> actually. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I always think of this verse when I read this story. And I want us to hear it again in the Second Corinthians. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. This goes against everything I've ever been taught. Practically speaking. The whole idea coming from a South Georgia football-oriented sort of mentality, weakness is not even in our vocabulary. If you show weakness, you're dead. From our perspective. Now, now listen to this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions. Now, I want to ask you something. When was the last time you went to a small group or was talking in your home or you had a Bible study and someone said, I just want to share tonight that I am absolutely blessed. Oh, did I not read the whole thing? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you for that. I want you to know, I want everyone to know that I delight in my weakness, insults, hardships, and persecutions, and all those other things. I just want everyone to know I just delighted that. You know, my first response is they need to see a counselor. Is that right? No, no, it's not right. This is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture that relates, at least from the New Testament, into this passage, into who these people were, what they stood for. Somehow in our, in our culture, uh, and others too, but somehow we have been taught at least I have, that somehow, you know, the weak ones get put aside. The weak, the weak ones don't make the litter. They, 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 the other, the stronger ones do. If you're going to survive, if you're going to succeed, if you're going to do this in school or do this in job, you're going to have to do the pyramid approach. Stomp on everybody you can to get to the top. And people do that. But from this perspective... It's the greatest challenge to me to bring this concept, not just from an intellectual state. Anybody can read it and say, yeah, I believe that. But do we really? Can we really grasp the truth that in my weakness, 
God's power is perfected in my weakness. So that Christ's power will rest upon me. Therefore, I will delight in all of these things. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, I don't know what, whatever you take away today, I want you to hear that. We've heard this story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Chaldean names. I've seen pictures. I remember pictures when I was in Sunday school in the third grade of the teacher holding up these big pictures they used to have back in the day and, and we see that I still can close my eyes and have that, that image right there immediately. We know the story. It's been told VeggieTales did the best job of all, I think. It's just really good. So we, we got the story, okay? But, but beyond that, living out their convictions, not because of their circumstances, my convictions don't change, but circumstances doesn't change what I really truly believe. That doesn't mean that sometimes circumstances don't need to change how we approach it. Because we may need to learn to respond rather than react. True. But in the final analysis, God's power is perfected in me in my weakness. It's like, God, you don't come, you don't show up, we're done. And so my challenge for you, for me, is that what is it in your life? Whatever your background, however you think this through, how can you take this truth of Scripture and say, in reality and in practice of your life, that when I'm weak, he's strong. That doesn't mean we walk around lowly and sort of weakly and always, you know, sheepishly and just, you know, always looking around like the poor me sitting. No, that's not what we're talking about. Look at me suffering. Oh, please. Give us all a break. You know what I'm saying? Because there's some people that you don't want to ask how they're doing. You go here, they're like both chapters and the, and the preface and the bibliography entries. I don't know if I should have said that or not, but it, it came out. Was that a reaction or a response? I have no idea. It just sort of came out. I think sometimes people want to know that your weakness is going to be a place where God's strength will be elevated. Now, when I'm going through a sort of time and that sort of difficulty, I don't relish it. I don't do pain. Pain is not my spiritual gift, I promise you. Ask my wife. You ever, you're married to a nurse? Good heavens. you got to be near death to get any attention. <laughs> I mean, I've gone into a coffin fit, and I think to myself, why doesn't my wife come help me out of here? And I ask her when, am I, when I cough myself and I turn blue. What did, I needed some help over. What did you She said, you were coughing. I, I sure was. Well, that's, that's good. It's when you stop coughing that I get concerned. <laughs> then I'll come over, take care of them. Well, well, that's good. Now that I'm blue, I've coughed myself. I got a broke rib, you know, and I busted a lung, totally making that. <laughs> coughed myself, and so there you go. Somehow in my weakness, he's made strong. My 
My dad taught me how to swim. No, they didn't throw me in. I think they thought about it. Because you know the old school, sink or swim. I don't know if that's smart. But he did this. He got in the water with me. I'm scared to death. I'm in water over my head in a pool at a motel when my dad was in seminary, and his seminary buddy was sort of the hotel manager guy. So he let us swim free in New Orleans. That's good. And he was teaching me to swim. And I want to be in the, where I can touch the bottom. And he said, I want you to come out here to the deep. And I'm thinking, no. I mean, I'm, my, my, I think my mother's having a heart attack. And I'm about to have one. And he said, I just, all I want you to do, I'm going to reach out my hand. He said, hold my hand. And I said to him, I'm going to hold more than your hand if you keep going out. I'm going to grab hold of everything and just grab you. He said, no, rest, rest, relax. Actually, I was on my back. I get the story. He said, just hold my hand. Rest. Touch my hand. Rest. And he walked out of deep water. Uh, that was, he, he was on the bottom, of course, but way over my head. I was just three or four years old. Um, and little did I know, before I knew it, my weakness and fear of swimming in the deep water and I can't touch bottom, the next thing I knew, I was floating on my back. And also, I didn't realize, but he had also removed his hand. He said, just rest in your weakness. Now, he didn't do the sermon thing there at the pool. I'm reflecting. In my weakness, I rested. And it was his hand, metaphorically speaking, and literally at first, that held me up to the point that in my weakness, I was strengthened. And for the first time in my life, I no longer had fear of water. I was floating. Now, the end of that story is, when I realized I was floating in deep water and his hand was not there, I had a fit. <laughs> and, I scrub- and I nearly drowned. Because I fell to rest in my weakness because his strength and power is present right there, right there. And sometimes, just like Peter getting out of the boat, you realize, oh my goodness, what a mess. Take your eyes off Jesus, kaplunk. Just like these, these three, the power of learning to live out a life that was based on convictions, you've got you to believe in something. But learn to respond to others, not react. Reaction always brings about another reaction. Express your faith even when you don't feel it. Express your faith. And rest in the power of God's presence. Because in our weaknesses, in those transitions of our life, that God has brought us out into deep waters where the psalmist, where the psalmist says, and there we will see the works and wonders of God in the deep. 
we can find security and familiarity and security wading along the shallows of the shores. Or we could go out with out of the psalmist out of the sea and ships and do business on great waters for there for there out there you will see the wonders of God because in my weakness his power is perfected thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church we are all about helping you live the life you were made to live God made you God loves you and his plans for you are perfect So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.